0: not we are actually moving into the third chapter of second corinthians it's a miracle we will begin looking at verses 1 through 6 probably over the next 6 weeks just in case you're planning ahead if you would please join with me in prayer and then we will read second corinthians chapter 3 Verses 1 through 6. Father, may we be overwhelmed with adoration for you. Father, as we draw together this day, this day that you have made, Lord, may we rest in the assurance of your awesomeness. And that, Father, everything is right on schedule. Father, as I look at this text, as I wrestle with this text, as this text wrestles with me, I thank you. I thank you for your faithfulness in my life. And yet, Father, as I look at these precious brothers and sisters, I grow in the assurance of your faithfulness in their lives. Father, may we this day have ears to hear and eyes to see. Father, as I look at this, I understand even more and I am overwhelmed. Father, I come begging forgiveness. And Father, may each of us, may may I decrease as you increase. And let us rest in what you do. In Christ's name. Amen. Chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. Are we beginning to commend ourselves again? Or do we need, as some, letters of commendation to you or from you? You are our letter written in our hearts, known and read by all men, being manifested that you are a letter of Christ cared for by us, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of the human hearts. Such confidence we have through Christ toward God. Not that we are adequate in ourselves to consider anything as coming from ourselves, but our adequacy is from God, who has made us adequate as servants of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the spirit. For the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. Okay, in the flow of our context, we're looking at what I classify the whole letter to Second Corinthians is a letter for ministry. And included in that would be the pastor, the the elder, the preacher. Um, But included in that would be everyone who is saved. Everyone who is saved has a ministry. And what we've been looking at over the years, actually, is that 1 Corinthians has to do with our personal holiness. How do I stand before God? Then you move into the ministry, and you will see throughout this letter... Um, different aspects of the Apostle Paul's ministry, understanding that Paul had left and had spent ha, he had le- had spent eighteen months in Corinth. He had left before a door was opened for him with many adversaries in Ephesus, and he was in Ephesus for three years. All right, he was run out of Ephesus in a riot because Ephesus made idols, and Paul was. Proclaiming Jesus Christ was distracting the people, were walking away from idols and coming to the true and living God. Idol makers were falling into a recession. And they were getting cranky. Okay? that has never happened to us. But uh, those who would be in the idol making business are probably a little cranky. Okay? What happened is, and what happens so often is that you have a body of believers, firm foundation, strong cornerstone of the preaching of the Apostle Paul or the preaching of men called by God, empowered by God, fulfilling the work of God. And when they move on, charlatans come in behind them. I have seen this... um, In just my life, I I can't even count the number of times. Established churches, strong churches, biblically sound churches. When the pastor walked away for multiple reasons, called to a different place, perhaps God called him home. Charlatans would come in from behind them, and would begin teaching deceptive doctrines of demons not sparing the flock. The Apostle Paul understands that dealing with the Corinthians, that this is going on. False apostles have come into Corinth behind the Apostle Paul and are teaching error. They're teaching error. And um, when I look at this text now, one of the things that I that I, in my studies, that helps me at times in my studies, especially if I get into a, uh, a complicated text, what I will do is I will write the letter, okay? I will just copy it handwritten, okay? But I leave out chapters and I leave out verses, okay? Now, I pick up the paragraphs, okay? Because a paragraph is a change of thought, but sometimes we have verses and sometimes we have chapters that I believe break up the flow of what the apostle is writing. This is one of those cases. All right? Because you are coming out of 16 and 17 of chapter 2 and then he throws in a question, are we beginning to commend ourselves again? All right? What's he flowing with? Okay. And as a conjunction, is joining them together. What would he be joining with? We speak in Christ in the sight of God. All right? I believe that this text will speak to us loudly. I know it has me. I believe that if you're really honest with yourself and understand that because I'm saved, I have a ministry, then this text will speak to you. All right. If you're sitting on the sidelines hoping that we would hire more ministers, then you probably are not going to get nothing out of this. Okay. I look at this text contextually as a pastor. This is a pastor, the pastor Paul, uh, a man's heart that I pray before my race is done, I can emulate. This letter. Um, That we are in right now, this section speaks to my heart in ways that uh, few texts do. It should speak to any pastor, it should speak to any minister. There is a sense of direction in this text, Uh, um, it, it is bringing us to a place. You know, I have heard some who would say that this text is for preachers. I do not believe it's limited to preachers. If you've ever looked at First Timothy, people will tell you that that is a pastoral epistle, a pastoral letter. Okay? The problem is that phrase does not show up in that letter. Let, I watch people who will take First Timothy and Titus and say, well, you know, that's just for pastors. Okay? You can't do that. You can't do that. I've, I've watched some people who will take Hebrews and say, well, Hebrews doesn't apply to us because I'm not Jewish. Um, all of a sudden now you are qualified to be the editor of Holy Writ. I'm happy for you. That must be like a promotion. We must all maintain the standard. We must hold the standard. If we expect the standard laid out here to be lived by those who lead, I would agree with a hearty amen. I would even go as far as saying it is for those who serve among us. It is our standard. This section deals with the competent, the adequate minister. It starts in the end of verse 16 in chapter 2. The apostle Paul makes a asks a question. Who is adequate for these things? Who is competent for these things? Who is capable? And then you back off and you look at who he's talking about. He's talking about himself. Who is the capable pastor? Who is the competent pastor? And I I really want you to think about this. Please hear me well on this. At some point or another, every church will face the task of selecting a man. To shepherd their souls for the rest of their life, to set their path for eternity. Who is capable? Who is capable? Who is competent to do that? Who is the one who is adequate? To be the shepherd of the Lord Jesus Christ. In the knowledge of Christ, proclaiming the sweet aroma that circulates beyond all of humanity for an eternity and rises even to God. That's the context. Who is adequate? Who is capable? I have been in this church. This is the only church I've ever been in, to be honest with you. I have never been a member of a church. I did not grow up in a church. This is, this is my home. This is where I have walked. This is where I have grown. This is where I have stumbled. This is where I have cried. This is where I have rejoiced. I have buried dear friends and done the weddings of kids that I have had in Sunday school. I've dedicated babies. I've baptized adults. I have been truly blessed among men. But this church will face this in God's timing and in God's providence, will have to select a replacement. How do you do that? When that day comes, I would steer you to this text and to your outline. What do churches look for in such a man? A man who is adequate. To proclaim the sweet aroma of Christ. What are the manifestations, the characteristics, the mark of competency? And I've had people ask me, well, how did you know you were called? I still don't. I was the last one standing. You know, the guys who picked me have all left. That should say something. I mean, I, I tried to share with some people the other day, the church that I was baptized in burned down. I don't even know what that means. Perhaps that was my calling. Get out. <laughs> what do we use to make a valued judgment On a man's ability to lead the bride of Christ. I know, get all spiritual on me. Christ is the head of the church. Great. But why did He set in place elders? Why did He give us pastor-teachers? See... We see the question asked in verse 16. Who is adequate for these things? Who is adequate in the knowledge of Christ to proclaim it, that it is a sweet aroma that goes throughout the culture and it is so proclaimed in the power of God that it raises up to the heavenlies and is pleasing to God? Who is adequate? Who is competent? Who is sufficient for that? capable, able. Who is, has the competency to take on the manifestation, the eternal task, of, of, of a, a, a duty of being a human instrument in the hands of the Almighty God through which the gospel is preached? Now the context is to the pastor. But if you're really honest with the context of the book, It is for those who minister. Who would that be? You're going to deal with a text coming up in a few months, maybe, (laughs) that says you and I have a ministry of reconciliation. We are here, we are left here to reconcile the lost to a holy God. And we do that by the knowledge of Christ. To the savings of souls. And in our context. To the damning of souls. Who is capable? Who is adequate? How would a church. Who loses their shepherd. Say. I need a new one. You know there's a website. That you can pastor shop. The pastors can throw their resume out there and and you just go through it and you can the church can say, we are looking for a man who, and yeah, some of you just, whatever. You need someone from marketing. (laughs) That's what you're looking for. You know, must be a people person. I bet that's what they used to say about Paul too. He's such a people person. I know they said that about Jesus. You brood of vipers. He's such an encourager. (laughs) Who is capable of being the vessel that bears the sweet aroma of the knowledge of Christ, which is the aroma of life to life and death to death? The sweet aroma of the knowledge of Christ. That is the aroma of life to life. And some it is death to death. Who's able? Who is able to properly be used so that the knowledge of Christ is manifest everywhere? That's an interesting job description, don't you? I know. Put that on that website thing. We are looking for someone capable... And the knowledge of Christ to be the sweet aroma everywhere of Christ. Send us your resume. (laughs) See how you just sort of what Uh, I kind of blew my mind. You're like, we got a what? It's a pastoral. um, What do they call them? Headhunters. You know, send us your resume. We will find a church that match you to it. And I'm sitting there going, what are you telling me? Who has the capability to sincerely, without divine power and clarity, speak on behalf of Christ? Really? Who has the ability to bring men to respond to their preaching? Some will respond to life eternal and some will respond to death eternal. But there's always a response. Don't ever kid yourself. Even when you think, I think they're all asleep, the word goes forth. And it accomplishes exactly what God sent it out. And if you're looking for the response or uh, an action back on it, you're going to be sorely disappointed. Who has the ability to be such a divine instrument? Who can function under the careful, watchful eye of the Almighty God? Has anybody here had a a supervisor or a boss that was just a proverbial pain in the ankle? Huh? How would you like to have a boss who is perfect? And he only wants you to be perfect. And he doesn't ever ask you to think outside of the box. I want to keep your little beanie head in the box. And you know what? Even when you go home from a long day at the office, he's there evaluating you. Who's competent? Who's adequate? Who's, let me ask you a simple question. Who's qualified for such a ministry? It's a Fascinating thought if you really think about it. I mean, I can go on and on on, do you really realize what you're doing? I mean, if you think about it, when you have a bad day or a bad week or a bad section, how does your Bible reading work out? Do you sacrifice it? When when you're running out of time, you know, I got up a little late this morning, you know, everybody in the house used all the hot water and I got to wait for the hot water to come on and I got to take my shower and, you know, I'm pacing around trying to get breakfast and I didn't do this and I didn't do that. I'll read later. Okay, then how are you the sweet aroma of Christ if you're lacking in the knowledge of Christ? How is it that you can be told to pray without ceasing, but I forgot? That's like saying, you know what? I just forgot to breathe for a while. It really wasn't that big a deal, but it was a cataclysmic event. How do we do those things? Well, there is a wonderful... And I believe startling answer to the question of two sixteen. And the answer is in chapter three, verse six, and the end of five and six. Our adequacy is from God, who also made us adequate as servants of the new covenant. I mean, the answer is really simple. When you start laying out, here's what the task is, to be the aroma of Christ and the knowledge of Christ to influence all of humanity and rise up to please God. The answer is easy. God did it. The Apostle Paul says, we can offer ourselves as adequate servants Or as a competent minister, capable. Capable. That's the term that he uses in verse 5 and 6 of chapter 3. I'm capable. It's the root word that you dealt with in the end of 16. And who is adequate? Who is competent? Who has capability to do this? Paul is saying that God has made him a competent minister. A competent minister. So the question in chapter 2, he answers in 3. He's adequate because of what God has done. You know what? When I first kind of rolled through this, I kept thinking, why does he have to face this issue? I mean, if you really think about it, who started that church? Who trained up the leadership of that church? Who manifested Christ before the people? So why is he even going to answer this question? Why is he even discussing this? And I can tell you why. His competency was under attack. I see it today. I remember a church that lost their pastor in, um, uh, in, in a car accident in, um they went out on the World Wide Web and put out this thing, and they wanted a pastor who had his doctorate. Uh, they didn't say what it had to be in, but they wanted a doctorate. And he had to be over 40 years old. And you're like, wow. And we had an executive board meeting. I'm one of the executive pastors in the state, because, and because of something I signed up for. It's just because I have Longevity. It's the only reason so I showed up there and I was going through it And they said this is what we're looking for and all the rest of it I said, you know, what? this is a pretty amazing text and they said, why is that? I said you just disqualified christ from being your pastor He was 33 years old and was not educated man But that's what we do That's what we do Why does the apostle paul have to face this? Because his competency was under attack. If you look at really what we do in our churches today, what are we looking for when we look for a pastor? I can tell you, it's real simple. Good public speaker. That's what we're looking for. Good public speaker. See, if you're a good public speaker, you're a people person. Paul's capability was being assaulted. And if you look at his ministry, his ministry was always under assault and it was based on his capability. And if you think about it, the Apostle Paul was a Pharisee circumcised on the eighth day, tribe of Benjamin, studied under Gamaliel, had exceeded everything that he had been given and all of a sudden came to Jesus Christ and he couldn't be a Pharisee no more. He had been out arresting and persecuting and murdering Christians. And so the Christians were a little gun shy of him too. So he basically became an apostle to the Gentiles. To the Gentiles. Why? I'm thinking that the Jewish community had an attitude towards him. How could he be capable? These false apostles, false teachers had successfully infiltrated the Corinthian church. And you will see throughout all 13 chapters of this letter that he offered defenses against the law, lies that were being said against him. They want to discredit him. They do that today. If I can discredit the pastor, then I can discredit the message. And I can move him out, and I can teach damning doctrine of demons that leads people to hell. But I'll make good money in the time that I'm there. And I see it today in the body of Christ. It's alive and it's thriving and it has become a vocation. I want a job that is recession proof. These false teachers were trying to discredit him. And part of what, what of this letter is Paul defends his stance, his taking. One of the issues is his competency. Is he capable of being the sweet aroma of Christ to all men? I mean, of being such a monumental individual upon which the eternal destiny hinges? Can he be the one who brings the aroma of life unto life? And can he be the one who brings the aroma of death unto death? Can he? Truth of the matter is, can anybody? Can anybody do this? The false say he doesn't have the ability. The false say he isn't capable. The false say he isn't competent. He is not adequate for this task. The beloved Apostle is in a dilemma. If he defends himself, he is very sensitive to the fact that no matter what he says in self defense, they will take it as some act of pride. It's a dilemma. I don't want to. Kid you, I have had the dilemma. Uh, Some people had made accusations. Well, they probably still do uh, of me. And there was a time when I could have defended it, but I sat quietly. Some would argue, well, how can you sit quietly if they are doing that? And I just smiled at them uh, and said, compare the fruit. (laughs) That's just the way I leave it. Compare the fruit. Does my fruit Unite. Or does my fruit divide? They would accuse him of being an egotist. And they would twist it to another accusation against the beloved apostle. But he has this dilemma. See, I have an advantage the apostle Paul didn't have. I can look at my accuser and say, prove it. Paul couldn't do that. He was still in the process of writing it. (laughs) I haven't finished this letter yet. I'll prove you wrong in a minute. (laughs) Okay? But I have people who come against me on a regular basis. I had a discussion just this week that you must repent and be baptized. There, see? salvation is by works. I said, oh, that's cool. And I said, really? And he said, yes. He says, look at your Bible. That's what he said. That's how he said it too. Except he was hitting my desk and oh, it was that close. But anyway. He said, Acts chapter 2, verse 38. And I said, yes, I've read that. It says, repent and be baptized. That's works. I said, read 37. What? Yeah. Read 37. He preached and the Holy Spirit pierced their hearts and they begged, what must we do to be saved? That's not works. That's the Holy Spirit. See, it was an easy dissertation. Why? Read the verse in front of it. And usually if that don't work, read the verse after it. (laughs) That's how I do it. See, if he gives an opportunity for the attack on his pride to think him as proud, he doesn't want them to have for a minute an accusation of his being self. Serving. And any time that you defend yourself, you show self-serving to boast in what he had done. But he doesn't want to leave the wrong impression to the Corinthians and that they have no room for accusation. And listen, the Corinthians, we've already read it. In, in, in first Corinthians, they had a serious pride problem. And Paul isn't even, he doesn't even want to get near that fire with even a little eyedropper full of gasoline. Because their egos were way out in front of them. And if he says, well, I am the apostle to the Gentile called by Jesus. See, we're acting just like Paul. Pride is a, uh, An easy, easy enemy. Pride is right there all the time. And it always sits there and goes, me, 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 me. And try to show your pride and humility. Yet it is crucial that he defends himself. He is the vessel by which God brings the truth to them. And if they do not listen to me, to to him, they will not hear truth. And the false had already promised that. Since he is Christ's apostle, it is crucial that he affirms his integrity and his authority for the sake of those in the Corinthian assembly, but also for the sake of those outside of. And you know what? When I look at this, it is a very, very delicate line Paul must balance and yet not provide more fuel. Okay, if you've ever been in a position uh, of public, um, serving kind of out front, that's why I try to keep my picture off the internet. In chapter 3, verses 1 through 6, Paul talks about how it is that he has been made a competent and adequate minister. Okay, and it re- re- he reveals in this text five characteristics. They're in your outline there. A adequate minister has an established godliness. Please hear what I said. Established godliness. You know those pastors that we were teaching in Russia? Okay those men before they could come and be our students had to be in the body of Christ for 10 years. They had to bear fruit and they had to have lives that were above reproach. And they would have the witness of 10 years of the fellowship and the body of Christ, the eyewitnesses. So you could look at it. Most of these guys, uh, actually, I can only think of one. Who wasn't were bivocational. Most of them had their own building. Uh, they they built either welding or door frames or some type of construction things. And they had to have a good testimony even to the lost and in their business practices. And it was witnessed for ten years. Okay. This isn't me filling out a resume with references. We don't go find our enemies and use them as references. We go find our buddies. Would you? Uh, you get, I get people who ask me, will you give me a reference? Okay. These people, 10 years in the community, 10 years in the body of Christ, have references that they can't hide from. Okay. An adequate minister has to have transformed lives. That's what I say. What's their fruit? Listen, I'm not talking about the guy who handed out tracts or, you know, got up on the street corner and yelled, you know, you want to go to heaven, you want to go to hell. Which is it? Come on, going once, going twice, going three times. That ain't what I'm talking about. I'm talking about because of his or hers ministries, people's lives became stronger and the holiness and godliness of the King of kings and Lord of lords. Do they have that? An adequate minister has a confidence in the calling. I have a ministry of reconciliation. That is why God has left me here. Do I have confidence in it? Or do I just grab a hold of anything that comes down the pike? Which tells me you do not have confidence in what God is doing. Do you have a humble dependence on God? A humble dependence on God. Okay, now there's times in your lives that you do. <laughs> I know it. Okay, when the, the bottom falls out, I, I'm humble and I'm dependent. But when I think about the Lord saying, "I want you to pray this way, give this our daily bread," really, you know what that is? That is a seriously humble dependence on God, isn't it? Seriously. Because right now, when we go into the grocery store, we can smile at God and say, I'm buying, what would you like? Oh, let me guess, a bagel. Our biggest dependence on our daily food is, did you make a list, honey? (laughs) I need a list. And then last, is it a new covenant message? Five characteristics in that outline. And we will look at those over the next five weeks. I pray that you will seek the scriptures yourself. And rejoice at what the Apostle Paul has given us in this text. And understand. In light of this. You will be competent be the sweet aroma of the knowledge of Christ to all men even rising to heaven to even please a holy God. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the Apostle Paul. And Father, thank you for your spirit that convicts us, strengthens us, and comforts us. And Father, most of all, this glorious day, I thank you for your precious bride, your church. Father, help each of us this day be adequate for the task that you have set before each of us. May we rest in that dependence on the author and the finisher of our faith. And Father, may we do it in absolute humility. Thank you, Lord, for the privilege of the gospel. Thank you, Lord, for the privilege of the ministry of reconciliation. And thank you, Father, that we may have the privilege of walking in a manner worthy of our calling to your praise and glory. Amen.